0: I preached on uh, this subject a while back, but today I felt compelled. I was reading uh, some David Cooper uh, messages, and it stirred my heart anew and afresh. And I was going in a different direction last week when I was thinking about the message, and this, I couldn't shake this. And it's called A Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. We are a part of the kingdom of the living God. And this kingdom will endure forever. Forever, it it will not even be shaken by the events that are taking place in this world uh, or in the uh, spiritual realm uh, where our spiritual enemies dwell. But He is victorious, and He leads us in triumph. I think we would all agree that uh, uh, the world that we live in is messed up. You know, I think we would agree that it's unstable. I I would point you to politics being uglier in this country than it has ever been. Our nation is divided and seemingly cannibalizing one another, more so than since the Civil War. Uh, Runaway spending from the Congress threatens the future financial survival of our nation. The moral crisis in our nation seems hopeless it seems like we have passed through so many, so many barriers, caution signs, stop signs that God puts up in his word for a nation to be blessed, but we have pushed through all of those and ran through them uh, with abandon. And the crisis is not getting any better. We've crossed lines with uh, same-sex marriage that violates God's law in so many ways. God created male and female, created them after his likeness, he created us. He didn't create us to, uh, to, uh, to 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 go after the same sex. I'm just telling you that what the word of God declares. I'm not being hateful, not being unkind. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I was watching online. I want you to know my heart that there is redemption, that there is deliverance, that there is salvation. There is hope if you're trapped in same-sex attraction. God can help you. God can help you when you cry out to him. You will walk through a process of sanctification, of cleansing, of transforming your thinking when you cooperate with God's uh, Holy Spirit working with you, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and the washing of the water of the Word by the Spirit of God. Our consciences in the, in our people today in this culture also just seem to be hardened uh, with, with by sin and by selfishness. It seems like the respect for human life has on by the wayside. It seems like actions that used to be considered reputable and evil and malicious and hateful have now become accepted uh, by the culture as being normal. It seems like in a post-Christian era that the things that Christ, that Christian living, that biblical standards, Judeo-Christian standards brought to how people behave whether they were believers in Christ or not because of the past tense of the Christian culture that we are moving away from those actions and behaviors of decency and how we treat one another I think it's obvious that the nations on the earth are being shaken we are being shaken uh, like an earthquake of a realignment that begins uh, of what might be becoming might might be coming and Paul said of this in Romans 8 that we know say we know We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Right now there's a shaking, and even all of nature is being shaken. Even nature is being shaken. But with all the shaking that God gives, the shaking we're going through, God gives us the promises of God in his word to sustain us in unstable times, in an unstable world. Hebrews chapter 12, 28 says this, Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom. Are you receiving the kingdom of God? We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us, say let us, us. let's all get on board. Let the body of Christ be in unison. Let us all come into agreement that God's word is the last word. It is the final say. It is the judgment about what is right and what is wrong in our behavior and in this world. That God is never wrong. His word is always clear. It is always a guide for us to lead us through even dark times. It's a lamp unto our feet, as the psalmist said. And he says, the writer of Hebrews, let us, let us come into agreement. Let us have grace, the unmerited favor of God and the power of God to do as we ought. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably, with reverence and with godly fear. I think that if there's something that is lacking in the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age, in this culture of this time in in the 21st century, is a lack of the fear of God. It is a lack of the reverence of God. It is a lack of the fear of God's judgments. That we stand off and we think that God is love. And the Word of God says God is love. But God is also justice. He is also righteous. He demands holiness from His people. And yes, we have struggled with that. We're in process, every one of us. None of us are holy in ourselves. But by the declaration of God, because of the blood of Christ, God declares us as righteous and He declares us as holy. And we are to walk in holiness, walking in the Spirit, doing our best to stay on the straight and the narrow, to follow the plans of God for our life, to live in a way that will bring blessing and favor to us by God our Father and be a testimony to those who don't know Christ and don't know Him. We have a message to share that sometimes, sometimes, It it is shared without words. It is shared because we are living letters, living epistles to be read of all men. So many people will never read the Bible. We live in a, a, even inside the church today is an unprecedented, in this country, biblical illiteracy. But even people who don't read the Bible can read the Bible by watching someone's life. How are we treating people on the outside? How are we treating one another? You see, the early church was known by its enemies As see how they love one another. That was not a compliment. It was a slur. Just look at them how they love each other. Isn't it sickening? That's what they were really saying. Do we love one another? Because in a world that is being shaken, we need to let us come and receive the grace by which we may serve God acceptably properly, with reverence and godly fear. The writer of Hebrews writes to the first century Christians. At the time, in their culture, they were facing stress and persecution. Their world was unstable. The times were uncertain. Uh, they needed to be encouraged and, they, and, and remember that they were citizens of an eternal kingdom. They needed to remember that as we do, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the writer of Hebrews, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, wrote those words that are burned into eternity, the words of God that will never pass away, but the words that are uh, relevant to every generation of the church since they were written. And they're relevant to us today. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, even when the whole world seems to be upside down. This message inspired by David Cooper, who writes that the kingdom of God means the rule of God, or the sphere of God's rule and in the Greek language, uh, Jesus announced as he talks about that in the Greek language uh, of that being the, the definition of the kingdom of God. Jesus said when he came on the scene, when he was on earth, he came to announce why he was here. What did he say? Matthew four seventeen. repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. The kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is coming. It's here even now. And he was trying to tell people, get ready, repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Turn towards God so that you can be a recipient of all that God wants you to have. See, sometimes we close the door in God's blessings by our attitudes and by our actions, by our sin. But God says, open up the prison doors that he has released you from captivity. Receive all that I have for you. Jesus taught parables that illustrated what the kingdom of God was like. He was preparing us in the word of God to receive the unshakable kingdom. Spiritually, we enter into a kingdom of God by faith in Christ, in God's provision to redeem us from our sins. We pray the words of the Lord's prayers Jesus taught his disciples, and in the eternal word of God, relevant to every generation, tells us as well. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, one line says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what we, we need to pray? We need to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come to me as it is in heaven. What is the will of God for me? Your will for me is to come into alignment with the kingdom of God, with the standards and the principles and the blessings that are afforded to us because we are a part of an unshakable kingdom. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18 says this, that Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord, listen to this, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Can I just tell you a little bit of this? That I tell you, uh, is, is that the, when the Spirit of the Lord comes, the presence of God Himself in all of His holiness and His glory and His splendor, and it touches, listen to me, a created thing that He created out of nothing is that there is a cataclysmic reaction in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. That something happens. where every action God does, there is an incredible reaction. And when he came on Mount Sinai, it shook. It shook. It filled with smoke, which is indicative and symbolic of the glory of the Lord. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly greatly quaked there was an earthquake when the presence of god came upon the mountain matthew 27 51 when jesus was uh, crucified and when he said it is finished it says then behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split when he was crucified the son of the living god for the sins of the world he the innocent died for the guilty. There was a cataclysmic reaction in the spiritual realm. There was an earthquake in the natural. The ground shook, rocks were split, but can I tell you there was a greater earthquake in the spiritual realm that shook and rattled the gates of hell itself. That uh, there was a reaction to the earthquake. There was a reaction when every devil and every demon shook and quaked in their boots. Because the Son of God was crucified. Something happened in the supernatural that was transcended into the natural and there was this reaction because of his death. Even a greater quake took place. You remember on Easter that we're going to celebrate this year here. We're going to have a party, we're going to have a celebration. We missed it last year, but this year we are going to get together and we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when that happened, when that happened when he rose from the dead, there was an earthquake. There was the power of God that came down and rolled away the stone. And it and it, it never has been the same since. Zechariah 14.4 says, and in that day his feet, speaking uh, of a prophetic of Jesus Christ himself at his second coming that he will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be what? Split in two from east to west making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move towards the north and the half the other half towards the south. There's going to be a reaction when Jesus returns and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives when he returns. Hebrews chapter 20, uh, 12, verses 26 says this, and re- repeating and uh, referencing Haggai 2.6, he says, whose voice then shook the earth, the voice of God, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will not only shake the earth, but I'll shake the heavens. God is on the move. What he's saying is I'm on the move, that I'm, I'm going to shake things up, I'm going to shake things into alignment to come into alignment for my future plans, prophetic utterances that are here through the prophets that they're going to come to pass. Isaiah 13, 13 says, Therefore I will shake the heavens, God says, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in that day of my fierce anger, of his fierce anger. I'll tell you what, in the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what is remaining Will we'll, we'll remain stable. Are you being shaken today? Question is. Sometimes when we talk about the shaking uh, prophetically and what's taking place in the heavenly realm, sometimes we as individuals, even Uh, uh, Christians, those who follow Christ, that sometimes we are shaken through events in our life, through bad news from the doctor, through bad news from the financial area, bad news in relationships, bad news in our marriage, bad news with our kids or our grandchildren. Sometimes we are just being shaken or we feel like we're being shaken and we have to look up and say, God, I know I'm being shaken, but I am a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I know that when I'm being shaken that you are holding me in your hands, that you are making me me stable while everything else around me is shaking i mean to tell you we have a god that we can put our hands into and he will take us and he will hold us and he will preserve us and he will protect us you know is your world in an uproar of uncertainty sometimes we are uncertain about things sometimes we wonder and i've been through this many times through the years but the older i get i find myself less and less asking god god where are you Because I have learned that in every situation, whether good or bad, and in fact when it's really, really bad, that at the time I was going through it, it seemed like, God, where are you? But I have learned from experience that looking back, that he was there all the time. He was Emmanuel to me. He never left me nor forsook me. That he is God with me, Emmanuel. And I know that he's there tomorrow as well. When we fully trust in Christ as Savior... And the Lord, as Savior and Lord, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us, say let us, let us be an unshakable people. Number one of my message today, after introduction, rather lengthy one, wasn't it? Uh, Is Isaiah 7, 9. We need unshakable confidence. When we're going through trouble, when the world is uncertain, when politics and everything that seemed to be stable before is falling apart, We need unshakable confidence because our hope, listen to me, our hope is not in this world. The psalmist said, I will look up unto the hills whence cometh my help. It doesn't say, look unto Washington whence cometh my help. There's a lot of people trusting in Washington. Can I tell you something? One day, runaway spending, Washington's not going to be able to supply all your needs according to their riches. They're going to run out of money at some point. And then what will you do? We will have to do what we should have been doing all along. We should be looking to God, who the Word of God says, He will supply all of my need according to His riches and glory. And God's bank never goes bankrupt. Amen. Isaiah Isaiah 7.9 says, If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. You know, what does that say? That if you believe, you'll be established on a solid rock. If you choose not to believe, you're going to be on shifting sand. The kind of confidence that does not wilt and die when hard times come along is the kind of confidence that God wants us to have. It is called faith in the midst of trials. Holding on when everything inside of you says let go holding on with white knuckles sometimes to the promises of God until he comes through and shows you that I was there all the time. Your faith was being shaken. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, he will say to us one day. It's the kind of confidence that keeps us from quitting in the heat of a trial. To hold on when your everything is going south. Hold on to God. Don't quit. Don't give up. There's going to be a devil whispering in this ear and a demon in the other side saying, quit, just give up. God can't be trusted. Look how he's abandoned. Why are you going through this trial when you trusted in God? Your God can't save you. You know Jesus was tempted in all manner like we, that he was tempted by the enemy after fasting for 40 days, and yet he quoted back the Word of God. We need to have the Word of God hidden in our heart so that in a time when we're being tested and the devil's whispering in our ear, just give up, just quit, Job's wife, in all of his trials, his wife said, why don't you quit, lose your integrity and just curse God and die? Listen to the wife. I think, is there a principle we should never listen to our wives? I don't think, no, I don't think so. But there are times when discouragement and loss and death and loss of children and all the things that they knew that she faltered. Their, their kingdom, their life was being shaken. And Mrs. Lott was so discouraged that she just gave up, threw up her hands and quit. But Job said, I will not accept good from the Lord and not bad. I know that one day, listen to this, when my flesh is decayed and eaten by worms, that I shall stand and I shall see the Lord face to face. He had hope of a life beyond the shaking of this world. He had hope in a God that he understood that he trusted in fully, that others didn't understand? How can he keep going? May that be said of us when hard times come. How can they just keep going? i mean to tell you, when I look at Pastor Diane and all the health issues she's had to deal with, I look at her and think, how can she just take just one bad news after another? How can she just keep rolling with the punches? How can she keep smiling? How can she keep praising God? But you know why? She has a kingdom (laughs) that is unshakable. And no matter what happens in this life, she has hope beyond this life, beyond the grave. That one day her body will die. That whether it be by the, the, some of the diseases she fights, I don't know. God knows. But one day, listen to me, no matter what happens, she will stand like Job and see the Lord face to face. We have a kingdom. Cannot be shaken. We have unshakable confidence in times of trouble. Uh, listen, the devil wants you to shipwreck your faith when you go through temptation and trials and fear and doubt. He may even throw out a baited hook that you bite. That you sinned, you, you crossed the line, that you did something you knew you shouldn't have done. But can I tell you, when you're a part of the unshakable kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that endures forever through every generation, we have a God that we can go to who says when you sin, not if you sin, but when you sin, you can come to me and you can confess your sins and I will cleanse you from all sin and unrighteousness and you are right standing with me right now because of your faith in me. Through temptations, fear, doubt, deception, financial loss, relationship troubles, and health challenges. But like Paul, if you have known, like this old song, Paul stood on his ground. And he continued to to live the way that he should live in, in times of trial. I remember when I was going through this that I remembered an old song shows that I'm old, I'm getting older, not getting any younger. But some of the comfort of the old songs and some of the hymns that that resonate with me, that are in my spirit because they mean so much and they're so relevant. And there's a song written, I don't even know who the songwriter was, but it, it says this, one verse says this, that if you've knelt beside the rubble of an aching, broken heart, when things that you gave your life to fell apart, you're not the first to be acquainted with sorrow, grief, and pain. But the master promised sunshine after rain. And the chorus is powerful. Hold on, my child. Hold on. Don't quit. Hold on. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping will only last for the night. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. The darkest hour of your trial, the darkest hour, only means that dawn is just in sight. We have a hope that transcends every difficulty, every disappointment, every failure that you can be involved in. There is hope because we have a God who is the God of all hope. Second Timothy chapter 112, the Apostle Paul said, for this reason, he said, I suffer. You know, you can go through the Pauline epistles and his letters and you can see the many things he suffered. Beatings, scourgings, imprisonments, uh, you know, he was stoned once and left for dead. And yet, he, after the, he walked away thinking, We finally killed him, what does he do? He gets up and shakes the rubble off of him and he marches right back into the city to preach. I mean, he, he said, For this reason, I think his reason, he's a part of an unshakable kingdom, but he puts it this way This reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know, say I know. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. That whatever we commit to God, He's able to keep. He's able to preserve. He's able to protect, because you committed it to Him, and He is faithful to do that. So, what do we need to do? We need to stay focused. What does the writer of Hebrews say in twelve two? Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off your problem. Get your eyes off the giants that are threatening you and cursing your God. Get your eyes off of them. Attune your eyes. Look up and look at Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. That Jesus, during his darkest hour, during his greatest pain, he didn't quit he continued on until he cried from the cross, It is finished. The plan of salvation is paid in full, that it is ready to be received by those who desperately need salvation and redemption and forgiveness and restoration to the presence of God. He said, Listen to me. The writer of Hebrews says, He endured all the shame and the pain because he looked beyond the darkness, that he saw light at the end of the tunnel that he saw beyond what he was suffering for and saw the results that if he continued to hold on, that there would be a place of honor for him at the right hand of God. We need to stay focused, stay focused. Secondly, we need unshakable convictions. Unshakable convictions. Convictions seem to be lacking in the church of Jesus Christ today. But the Word of God says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a Christian culture, in a culture that is post Christian in the world that we live in. And it seems like to me, oftentimes I think about this, especially when I'm in prayer, that everything is upside down. Everything's upside down. Can I tell you that in the early church, the first century church, is that one of the accusations and slurs, it was really a compliment, but they didn't realize they were complimenting. They are here, speaking of the apostles preaching, those who have turned the world upside down have now come here. In other words, what are we saying? The devil speaking through that person is that the kingdom of God is coming to our community. And those who have turned the world upside down are here to preach it. Listen, the world's upside down, and when they were accused of turning the world upside down, what were they doing in that day? They were really turning it right side up. See, But in their minds, those who were lost in their sin were thinking that it was right side up to start with when it was not. Listen, we celebrate, and by law, a threat of punishment to protect perversion. Our nation has backslidden away from the principles of God. The Christian worldview that used to guide judges and attorneys and politicians has turned its back on a biblical worldview of what right and wrong is. And today, by law, it is celebrated by law. There is a threat to those who speak out against it, against perversion. But a true, listen, a true follower of Jesus Christ follows and integrates the biblical standard of right living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, just because outside the faith that there is perversion, that there is runaway uh, homosexuality and perversion of every single kind, there is dishonesty, there is a lack of respect for There there is stealing and cheating and materialism and covetousness. It doesn't mean because they live that way that we do. We do not conform to the ways of the world. We do not conform. There was a time in this country when it wasn't hard not to conform to the ways of this world because the world had a biblical worldview or our country did. But now it's hard. Now it's time for the child of God, both men and women, boys and girls, to stand up and say with an attitude that others may, I cannot. Others may do this. They may live this way, but I cannot. For me and my house, Joshua said, and Moses, we will serve the Lord. Others may not, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Biblical standards, convictions against sin and unrighteousness uh, for uh, training and raising up godly children start at home. The church is here to help, but the parents and the home are the catalysts for what really is supposed to be instilled into them. The, the home confirms and affirms what is being taught from the scriptures in Sunday school, in Rock House, uh, in Missionettes and Royal Rangers, and in King's Kits. Not the other way around. We are here to help. We are not your solution. We are here to do our part and reaffirm. But you need to be responsible parents. And I'm talking to those here, but also online. And I'm here to tell you that grandmas and grandpas are my heroes when they are the safety net for their grandchildren. When they see a need and they step in and they say, as long as I have breath, I'm going to tell my grandchildren about the way of life. I'm going to teach them the right way to live. It may be rejected. They may turn the other way. But I'm going to die trying and I'm going to pray while I'm here for my children, my grandchildren to receive and have a genuine faith that is sincere and right. And I know my God. Listen to this. We not only live in an unshakable kingdom, but we know our God. We know that our prayers, according to Revelation, the writer of Revelation, John, said that our prayers are all put in a bowl. And they are an offering to the Lord. That our prayers are sacred. God hears, answers prayer, sometimes after we're dead. Sometimes we don't see or receive the promises. Hebrews tells us that. But listen, they looked forward, and we need to look forward to a city whose builder and maker is God, that we have eternal hope when there's no hope according to this life. We live in the post-Christian culture. Everything's upside down. But we have hope because we have the answer, the solution. Listen, saying no instead of blending in. You know, when you say no to sin and to temptation, when people pressure you, especially young people, that everybody's doing it, what's wrong with you? When they mock you and make fun of you because you're still a virgin, as if it was any of their business. What's wrong with you? When right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. You can remind yourself that we live in a culture that is being shaken, that is upside down, but I am a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. It's time for Christian young people, listen to me, I'm going to be blunt, to take a stand. Say it's hard. Suck it up. You don't take a stand. Do what is right. Choose the right path, and you will inherit an abundant life in this life and an eternal life in the kingdom to come. But you got to stand up. You say, well, it's hard. My parents aren't Christians. or my..." It doesn't matter. You choose to do what is right, and God will help you, and he will honor you. But saying no to blending in like a chameleon, the way the devil wants you to do, is not the answer. Not to listen to the everybody's doing it argument. That's the old as, the, as human life is. It's not an excuse to sin. It's time, listen to me, for the church of Jesus Christ to rediscover their backbone and to cultivate convictions that are not negotiable or in compromise with the world. I'm reminded uh, at the Diet of Worms. That sounds really funny. It's a German, the Diet of Worms. It's spelled like worm. That sounds terrible. But it's the Diet of Worms. In Germany in 1521, it was convened to confront Dr. Martin Luther about his writings and his teachings of salvation by faith alone, not of works. And afterward, he was given, after they heard him and they confronted him and they demanded that he recant or he would die, his books would be burned. They were already being burned whenever they could get a hold of them. But afterward, he was given time in a recess. decide to contemplate whether he would recant his teachings and the next day when they came face to face again as he was facing certain death if he didn't recant his convictions and his teaching based on the word of God he said this unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason for I do not trust either in this pope or in councils alone since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted and by my conscience, which is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Here I stand. I can do no more before concluding with God help me. Amen. May God give us. See, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, boy, he made the right choice. Well, he should have done that. You weren't facing being burned alive at the stake as others who had shared similar teachings from the Word of God. He was. And God preserved him to lead the church, into Protestantism, reform. First Thessalonians 5.5 says this, For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Can we remember that? Amen. Third point, last, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We need an unshakable, unshakable commitments. Commitment. Commitment. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said, just a simple yes or no, or I won't. In other words, make up your mind. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And Jesus is simply saying, make up your mind. Either it's yes or it's no. Joshua made up his mind, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he made a commitment long before he spoke it publicly. He was doing what? Saying, I'm better than you? No, he was saying, I'm setting an example as a leader that this is the way you ought to be. The word commitment means to be dedicated to a cause, to be willing to make necessary sacrifices for that cause, to demonstrate ownership and to fulfill one's responsibilities. We have a cause, the greatest cause in the history of this world and the universe. It is the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread and propagated in our community, in our, in our state, our nation, and the world. We have a cause that many have been killed for, martyrs throughout the history, who have died for the message of the gospel beginning with all but one of the apostles and many after that, Stephen being the first martyr in the apostolic church. I remember several years ago, uh, just close quickly with this, um, there was a young pastor's wife, who complained to me in her frustration that in their first church, very young, this pastor shouldn't have been pastoring the church. He was really green, green as grass. But he had a heart, oh, that beat for souls. He got saved, see, uh, from the curse of being a third and fourth generation alcoholic. And God saved him and forgave him and cleansed him and filled him with the Spirit, called him into ministry. And here he is at his first church, very idealistic, very idealistic, believing that all my congregation feels as I do. They're as excited about God as I am, and that that was a death blow to him later, and he realized that wasn't so. But this young pastor's wife and her frustration had gifts and talents and abilities, and she said, it just seems like our life has changed. It's all about him. It's all about his ministry. It's all about the church. It's all about, you know, what, when do I get to... Use my gifts and my advice to her and I didn't know if it would be received is to excel. Make a commitment to the call of God on your life. Before you got married you prayed you'd marry a pastor's wife are a pastor. You wanted to be a pastor's wife. Live up to your responsibility and your call to be the best helpmate you can to your husband. Work hard to support your husband. To be a, a wife that helps him to be successful in his pastoring. And when you do that, because you're honoring God and you're honoring your husband and you're being respectful to him and submissive to him, that God will honor you and he will raise you up. You know, she did that. She listened and she worked hard to make him successful. Quite frankly, he couldn't have been successful without her. He needed her. And she became the toast of the town. Not just inside the church, the ladies, but outside came and looked up to her as being a leader in the community. Weekly teas at the church where they came out in droves and listened to her as if she brought a refreshing into the community and into the church. God honored her. She learned to love being a pastor's wife, love ministry. And they are successful, very successful today in the ministry where they have Been a part of for several years now. See, God honors commitment. He honors you when you honor him. He adds his blessing to those who sell out to him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, say always, always. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know you know this already—that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, we're living in turbulent times. Uh, we're we're coming to, I believe, an end to a worldwide pandemic. That it's winding down. It's time for us to wind up. It's time for us to repopulate our churches. It's time for us to get busy and serve. It's time for us to shake off the lethargy the apathy and the complacency and the laziness and serve for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ being propagated and spread out through the local church. And I challenge you today to do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you, Jesus, for committing to the Father and surrendering to Him, to His will, And to his plan of eternal redemption through the blood of your blood on the cross. God, we thank you for that. That Jesus, you didn't step down from the cross. You didn't call ten legions of angels. You didn't punish those who crucified you. Instead, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Lord, you finished the plan of salvation. And because of that, you were raised from the dead victorious over the grave. You bring to us the offer of eternal life through faith in you. And so, Lord, we choose this day, and I encourage those watching by live stream and those here, is to say, yes, Lord, I choose life. I choose you. I choose to repent of my sins. I choose to repent of being a pretender in the faith and to having a sincere faith. Cleanse me, forgive me in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, simple if you prayed it from your heart, God heard. And he will hear you and he will restore you. And he will give you hope. And he will give you the ability to be a part of the kingdom that cannot be shaken, even when the whole world around you is. Amen. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessing of God. On this congregation and those watching online, God, may you bless them, convict them, bring us into commitment. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen.